Hey, friendly reminder, this podcast is not for kids or people who have a stick up their ass. Friday, 5.58 p.m. I'm sleeping with my best friend's husband. I think my uncle killed someone in I his think suicide. I am I a sugar baby. Mom addicted to Adderall. I think I my sister is my actually my uncle's kid. My What's your secret? Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Secret. My name is Ace Fanning, and believe me, When I tell you, this is a very big week over here. Today's story is full of different twists and turns. And just when you think you've heard it all, there's even more to the story. And then on Patreon this week is the flip side of this conversation. But before you think I interviewed her best friend, the stories are completely unrelated. But I do interview a woman about her affair with her best friend's husband. And also, speaking of Patreon, if you haven't signed up yet, you are definitely missing out. And that's your loss. I have been doing a lot of interviews lately, and I can't wait for everyone to get to hear them. Also, if you haven't joined the Beyond the Secret Facebook group, there's a link in the show description, and it is personally my favorite way to hear from you guys and your thoughts on every story. And trust me when I say, I know you're going to have a lot of thoughts after this week. Last thing, before we get into the episode, if you have a secret that you want to submit for the podcast just send me an email to beyondthesecretpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, I'm going to stop talking because this episode is a longer one and I want to make sure that you can finish it all in one listen. This week's secret, my best friend stole my husband. Tell me about yourself. Well, I am a 35-year-old single mother. I work in an industry that is very busy, uh, long hours. And when I'm not doing that, I'm just with my son and just trying to pick up the pieces of uh, the last two years of my life and what has happened. So just starting over basically. How did you first meet your ex-husband? We were working, uh, I guess I'll say we, we both work in the film industry. And so at that point in time, he was my boss. And I had been told, I had been teased, don't work for this person. You know, he has this, he just has this reputation of kind of slinking in to being with the person I was in that position. He had a tendency, I suppose, to have affairs with, you know, my job role. And I thought that that was so funny because I had heard 
the film industry is very small. So I, I had heard of him, my sister's in it. And so I thought to myself, you know, it, it just becomes very high school when you work with people for so long and you know everybody. So I thought nothing of it. I took the job and I would say within five months of knowing him, we were together. He had left his previous relationship. And in that time, he had had a baby. And before that relationship, he had been married and he had left that woman for the woman he was with. And then when he met me, he left the woman he was with and their two month old baby to start a relationship with me. And then two months later, we found out I was pregnant. Talk to me about what your marriage looked like in the beginning. I would say that it was always unconventional. I was coming into a marriage where this man had already had three children. He was married once. He had been in a relationship prior to us being together. And we, I mean, the reality is we primarily got married because I was pregnant. And I I loved him and I believe that he loved me. And so even though it was very fast and quick, like a lot of times it is, I was like, like, yeah, let's just, we'll get married. We'll be together. And so <laughs> the first two weeks of our marriage were great. They were fun. It was exciting. We were married. We were having a baby. And then like a lightning bolt reality set in who I was actually married to and like the character of this person. And so I think from the very beginning, it was not like harmonious. How would you describe your ex-husband once you really got to know him and be with him? See, this is funny because this really creates such a duality in me as a person. And I think this relationship, I'm in my mid thirties now, so I've had like a a lot of relationships um, and have gotten to know people really well. And this is the first time where I see somebody so clearly for both sides of the coin that they have. I think of him and I see him as this really hardworking man who is very resilient. He's faced a lot of issues in his life. And regardless of whatever is happening in his personal life, he's been pretty steadfast and he's been successful because he can, you know, show up every day and do the work and be resilient. And so that is no matter what, something that I'll always admire in him. And also that he is, you know, exceedingly generous, you know, as for as much as he is selfish, he is selfless. And that really can excuse a lot of bad behavior. I think when you see two really strong, good qualities in a person, the other side of that, the other side of the coin I was mentioning was the severe ego. Like I've never met somebody in my life who has such an ego that creates this kind of like bubble of unawareness, (laughs) like just this bubble that encapsulates him into not realizing that the decisions and the choices and the actions you have create such a ripple effect and can cause so much trauma and pain and emotion. And so for that, I see him as this completely inept, shut off, disassociated human being. I've done my research and, you know, he's not a sociopath, but he certainly has zero empathy for others in real time. What would you say was the most common argument that you and your ex-husband had? Him showing up, him being around, him helping, him 
engaging with our children, uh, him just being there. Our industry puts so much pressure physically and mentally on you. And I grew up in it. My father's in it. My family is. So I, I understood it. And there was a lot of leeway. It's not like a 10 hour day, you know, it's a 16 hour day, you know, and you compile five days. So he would be tired, but that's, that's not enough. He just wouldn't show up. He wouldn't be there mentally. He wouldn't want to help. He wouldn't want to engage. And I think that that really, I think is the backbone of any relationship or marriage. If, if you just know in your heart that your partner just would rather be sleeping or be anywhere else, then the way you move through your experience in your world, you carry that with you. And so it just quickly becomes resentment. Tell me about when you first met your best friend. So in middle school, I had a group of friends that were kind of a group of her friends. So this goes back 20 some odd years. And so through our adolescence, throughout high school and into college, I didn't have a relationship with her other than knowing her. And truthfully, and now knowing that I should always go with my gut, I was afraid of her. And so we ended up having a class randomly in college together. And, you know, being adults who had had experiences, kind of just looked at each other and knew we knew each other and kind of got on, you know, and both bygones aside, just realized that we we clicked. We are, and of course, everything is, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and, and everything makes sense as you look back at it. But we were so similar. We are so similar that it makes sense, this seamless transition in her life and in my ex's life that they're together because we just were the same type of person. So that's how we met. Uh, in our early 20s, I would say we became very close. How would you describe the friendship that you guys had? Um, I think it was peripheral, good friendship. But looking back, I think that, you know, it, we weren't as close ever as I thought we were. You know, we were in our 20s and then we had relationships and then we had we both had children and we both were in, you know, these like marriages. And so we kind of paralleled our lives and had things in common and, and were close and were bonded because we were both mothers and you know, all the other similarities we had. What was your husband's impression of your best friend? What was their dynamic like? You know, they didn't really have one. That's the thing about my ex-husband is he just didn't really engage with anybody. You know, it was all just surface always with him and all of his friendships were that way. So he didn't really have any sort of relationship at all. I don't even think that they had spent more than a day or two ever together because I kind of did my own thing when I would spend time with her. And so there was no real familiarity at all between the two of them. When did all of that change? Well, this is where it gets interesting because she had come into town and so we were spending time together and that evening i was like you know let's just have a girls night I, at that point i really just i was so completely disengaged with being married to him and wanting to ever spend time with him outside of the time that we were forced to as a married couple with children and so i think i had a little too much to drink we were having so much fun that we invited him over and then we all just had, like I said, way too much to drink. And the next morning was when I realized that, you know, things were, 
things were weird. And this is double-sided because I had all of my intentions and all the things happening on my side of it in my personal life. And then I'm sure, you know, there are three people, there are three people involved in this situation. And basically the reason why I even told you that snippet that started all of this was because in this three people circumstance, and like I said, in this small town and likewise where we live in our small industry, you know, people start to talk and people start to say things. And, and the situation was so crazy and outlandish in every direction that I thought, well, I just don't even share my part of it because A, it's my own personal private life. And B, you know, it, it, people wouldn't understand it. What has happened or transpired over the last uh, year and a half has been this just complete disregard for me or the reality of the situation. And so I feel like, you know, with this time being passed and everything, like I said, that's transpired, that I feel very valid in being able to tell my side of the story and so that I can feel better and move on from this. So the next morning I woke up from our drunken escapades and realized that they had slept together. So it wasn't a threesome? You know what? I would say, and this is like kind of a true testament to being a woman and growing up in our generation and everything with not having a voice and going along with things. But no, I would say that collectively, when somebody is blacked out drunk, they don't have the ability to say yes or say no to anything. And so I have absolutely absolutely zero memory of anything. And now we can get graphic because you asked about the threesome. I woke up the next morning, woke up, opened my eyes because the bed was like going back and forth. So I was completely passed out unconscious and the sun was out. So it had been hours since I had gone dark. I woke up to my best friend literally on top of my husband having sex with him. So instead of doing what I would, and I have been told is a normal reaction, which would be to be like, what the hell is going on? I just quietly went back to bed because in that moment I thought, okay, I did not green light this. Like my sober brain, not my blacked out drunk brain. When people like say, oh yeah, but you know, you were involved in this or whatever. When you add the like blacked out part to it, it really like negates your defense of saying, yeah, but you were involved in this and you had me do it, even if you were blacked out. Oh, so you knew I was blacked out, but you went along with it anyways. See, that just seems so vulgar and just downright inappropriate. So the sober me wakes up, I see this happening and I go back to bed because in my brain, I think I'm so unhappy in this marriage anyways, that, you know, maybe, maybe I can use this to my advantage to get out of it now. That was my like organic first emotion and thought. It wasn't hurt. It wasn't being upset. It was like, okay, so here's here's my exit ticket. I also think too, like the fact that you woke up and you were now sober. You said the sun was out. It was morning. They couldn't then say, oh, we just got drunk and we we crossed boundaries with each other. Like now they're having sex and it's sober sex, right? I mean, yeah, but at at that moment, that's where I lost control of the narrative as far as, you know, the outward perception of it, as well as my own control of it. Because in that moment, 
I'm thinking all of those things. Yeah. Like what did we do the night before? But regardless, exactly. That is the base fact. It was the next day. I had been unconscious for God knows how long. And even if we were engaging in some sort of debauchery the evening before, it was the next day. And that's what leads to what happened the next day, which really opens the gateway for what has happened for the rest of the year and a half. Before we get into that, I want to know more about your best friend and where she was at in her life during all of this. Yeah. So looking back, I think, and I think I mentioned this, like understanding now that we were truly peripheral friends and not, you know, deep, deep secrets, knowing everything about each other, in my opinion, or my perception, which, you know, somebody looking at the outside in is going to have a completely different one. But I had known that they had had trouble in their relationship for years. They had separated at one point, you know, there were affairs. So I I always knew that it was like, she was unhappy. But to know this person is to think that when you are with her, you are the most special person. She likes you the most. She just thinks you're great. She makes you feel great about yourself. But the reality is, in my opinion, in my experience, is it's all just a fake load of bullshit. It's just how she gets to maneuver around whatever she needs to get around to get what she wants. That's how I feel. I feel like, and I understand this because I do this the same way. If you make somebody feel great about themselves, then they're going to do whatever they want that you need them to do for you because you feel great around this person. And so I always thought seeing the relationship between her and her, they weren't married. So her partner, I will say, I always thought that it was so great. Like I'd see him come home from work. I'd see him go into the kitchen immediately, start making dinner for their two children, even though my friend had been literally at home all day just hanging out because she wasn't working at this point or or was, but didn't have a job to go to. He would come home, he would make food for the kids. And then he'd like literally start doing the laundry because that was his other job. You know, they had like kind of separated what responsibilities were. And I thought to myself, geez, what I wouldn't give, what I wouldn't give to have a husband that came home from work and not only participated, but like took some of the load off me. Like that's so incredible. So I thought that they, in spite of the separation, in spite of, the affairs and the adultery, I thought, you know, they have a much more solid relationship than most people do. That's what I thought. And to clarify, she had been separated in the past, but currently was, by all accounts, in a relationship with him. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Very, 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 very much so. I think he... And he, he is the biggest victim in all of this. And I, and my heart goes out for him because like, if you can range degrees of percentage for just kind of like what in my opinion is just manipulation, I would say that my ex and my ex best friend are probably at a 75% guilt rate. Whereas her partner was at zero. You know what I mean? I'm a 25 percenter. I'll take I'll take some of the blame. This poor man thought he was just in a relationship where he was trying to constantly work to be in a better one. I think he I mean, I know he genuinely loved this person 
And, you know, it's really hard to watch because at least for me, there are parts of my ex that I will always love. There will be. I, as much as I dislike him and think this situation was just truly the worst, I, I can see the good parts in him. But yeah, her partner just, he was just, he's a great guy. And it's just been sad to watch all of this. What happened the next day? So the next day, obviously we were, we're all adults, uh, but we were not feeling great. And my ex has two other children that we shared custody with. So it was a night that we had all three children and my, my best friend was asking, you know, we should do this again. She was in town, you know, her kids weren't there. She was footloose and fancy free. Let's do it again. And at this point I had, and I haven't even really touched base on this part. And I think that it's a very valid part of the story too, is that I was working on uh, trying to write a documentary at this point. I was really engaged in kind of actually lost in this storyline with all these characters, these men who were in prison for these long, these exasperated sentences. And I was doing so much you know, phone interviews and transcribing that that next night, I was like, I, I have to do work. And I truly wanted to just spend my time doing this and talking to those prisoners. And that was kind of my focus in life at that point. And I didn't want to just go get fucked up again and go have that weird, awkward, I, you know, I, I had anxiety about it all. It was just very weird. But in my mind, I was thinking, well, let's just run a test on these two people. Let's just see what is going to happen if I give my ex-husband the green light to go have another night with my best friend again. What if I do that? Like, I wonder what he will choose. And, you know, he's just very infamous for being, you know, a philanderer. But that was the thing. I had had so much confidence because we had been married for so long, even with what had happened. I truly had blind confidence that he would never cheat on me, cheat on me. Like whatever had happened that night before, I was there, right? It wasn't like going and doing something completely behind my back. But I posed, you know, this option for the two of them just kind of to see what, what would go down. So I said, you know what? I have all this work to do and the children are here. You can go. You can have your night. Do whatever you want to do. Here's your free pass. And I said, just be home before the kids wake up in the morning. Literally, like that was my only stipulation. Be home before the kids are wake up. So I don't have to like, A, explain why you're not here. Or B, get them all ready for school and take three children to three different schools by myself. Don't like, don't make me do that. That, that was the only thing. Go have your wild time. So, I mean, I can't even tell you how fast from the time the words left my mouth to him grabbing the keys and he was out the door. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, this is us transitioning. I wasn't like, oh, that's it. We're getting a divorce. This is great. I was thinking this is now the natural you know, process. We're going to figure this out and figure out how to both be happy. That's genuinely what I thought. And then the next morning I get up with the kids the husband is nowhere to be found. Call, 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 call. Have to get the kids to school. Have to get them all to three different schools. And at that point, I was like, all right, so you can't even play by like these simple rules. 
I'm curious to know more about your mindset and giving him the, I mean, essentially it was, it was like a hall pass, correct? Yes. And what was going on in your mind? Like you kind of touched on it, but I, you're saying that you both want to be happy, but did you really think that this would bring you happiness or more that you were sacrificing for him? Like, or were you hoping that he would just say no? I think I, um, if I could ex- explain the inside of my brain, it would be like, I always am like weighing out the options and the outcomes of everything, right? Like my profession is to like anticipate what's going to happen and try to like mitigate the issues before they happen. So in my mind, I had like all the column options. Column A was, he says no. And the column B was, he says, okay, but comes home on time. And column C is he doesn't. And so I had a way to move forward with any of the ways that it happened. In my brain, I was like, I'm just going to start throwing out, you know, these darts onto a map and I'm just going to start taking that direction. So that first dart on the map was go over there, go over there and then come home and we'll see. Because I was so desperate, I think in my, where I was emotionally and mentally in my life for something to change. You know, I needed a catalyst. And I, I looked at that morning as a catalyst. I, I could take this now and change any something because I knew that I was so unhappy with everything that was going on. I needed something. And that was the something. How did you feel when he fucked up and didn't come home and listen to your one rule? That was the column C and I was angry, but I was like angry at myself for like thinking he would do anything else because after, you know, almost a decade of marriage, I feel like I always knew what he was going to do, but I was always his biggest cheerleader hoping that he would just do the better or the right thing. And so when he didn't come home, I was just like, damn it, (laughs) disappointment number 947, you know, like, okay, you're going to make me go this direction, which was at that moment thinking, if this is the way I get out, if this is the way that this marriage ends for me, maybe there is the silver lining in the fact that we can do this like in a clean way. Like we can do this in a way where he's not devastated by me saying I don't want to be married to anymore. And maybe with this distraction of this like fluffy little affair, it will just be an easy transition. You know, she'll be, she's very maternal. That's her little fake thing. She pretends to just be like, oh, let me hold you, let me whatever. But as you can tell, people's actions and the way they go through life can really negate just their intentions of how you want them to perceive them. So my perception of her was, oh, she, you know, she will nurture him and it'll be great. And then we'll all move on. Cause I knew at that moment, I suppose I, what I didn't share earlier was that I thought that they had a good solid marriage. I knew she had fucked around before. So her fucking around wasn't in my opinion, her being ready to leave her relationship. So I thought she'll get whatever she needs to do out of this little situation between him. He'll have a buffer in between the marriage and whatever. And it'll just be very light. And that was like everything, you know, it was just like very light. The perception of 
getting out of this marriage or, you know, breaking down this family unit, at least it can have like a buffer. At least it's not just this dramatic thing where I'm leaving him and he's all by himself or all this, like, you know, she's a good friend of mine and it's better to have, you know, somebody in on that team telling me what's going on rather than not knowing this person. But no, it was never like a, you guys are going to get married. I see you guys as soulmates, like nothing even of that magnitude. I, I never thought anything like what has happened would happen. Was there a conversation on this night where your husband went over there, like between you and her? Like, did you say, hey, I'm thinking I'm going to send him over? Like, if oh. there was a conversation, what does that even look like? I mean, I think it was more kind of like, you know, hey, this is like, yeah, have him go have your fun. You both need it. I think it was very like in the beginning, it was very us being communicative, but maybe none of us being honest with each other about why we were all engaging and what was going on. Right. Like we all pretended that we were being light with it, that it wasn't anything serious. So, uh, yeah, send him over and then. They're both the king and queen of deflection. So that next morning they were like, oh, it wasn't our fault. We didn't do this. You know, that's just always their anthem. And so, you know, one time somebody doing something that is not appropriate or not right for you, like the difference between him and her was she had never crossed me or done anything. So I was like, okay, it's fine. You know what I mean? Like you guys were drinking or whatever. And I, I definitely gave her a pass for a long time in the beginning of this. I definitely allowed for it to be okay what she was doing because I took myself out of it and I would look at her as a friend doing something with somebody else. Like I really split myself when this all began. It sounds really bad, but I would love to be a fly on the wall when he finally did come home. <laughs> um, You know what? It was like, Okay, everything else, it was a bit of a slow burn. I was just kind of like, why are you so disappointing when you could be so successful at just not sucking at really easy, simple things? Because it, in the beginning, I mean, at this point, he had not come home. You know, in our job, like I said, it's like 16-hour days. And so by the end of the week on a Friday, you know, you might go into work at noon. And you might not finish until 2 a.m. But on three or four different occasions, just over the six-month period before all this had happened, there were, like I said, three or four times where he didn't come home at all. And he'd come home in the morning and say something like, oh, I fell asleep on the couch. Or I pulled, you know, just like complete and total utter bullshit and nonsense. But like I had mentioned, I, for some stupid reason really was like you know what this man who has just this reputation for doing all this he just won it like we are right and die we have been through all of this for almost a decade and like yeah you didn't come home but like you are an idiot so maybe you did fall asleep on the couch after you had too many tequilas you know maybe it was always like a pass I'm now I'm seeing all these like these passes I give everybody for you know red flag behavior so that, that that morning when he finally came home, I was just like, what are you doing? Like, why? Why? Why all the time with this nonsense? Because the, the main issue and the whole reason why I think, like I mentioned in the beginning, I was so unhappy was just because of the load that was like put onto me. It wasn't me just caring for my child. It was me caring for the two other children full time. 
that was my job. His job was to go to work and my job was to do everything else. So what was the point of him even being involved if he wasn't being involved? You know what I mean? So like with everything else, I was just that morning, like, why, why do you have to be this way all the time? You mentioned this slow burn and I'm curious to know what things contributed to that slow burn as you guys were going through all of this? Like I said, I wanted it to be, I didn't want anyone to be affected by my unhappiness. Like the duality of this circumstance and this situation, which I think is like the most important part that people need to realize is that it's layered, right? Like, and it's like triple layered because there are three people with three different intentions in getting involved in what happened. And so the only part that I could control, the only narrative I had control over was how I was affecting people in the breakdown of this. For years, I knew I didn't want to be married to this man and I wanted to get out. But, you know, as a, as a stay-at-home mom, you are so scared, especially after a decade of being the CEO of a home, you are so scared of the outside world. You know what I mean? So I was like thinking for years, how is my life going to go? So when this started, I just didn't want my feelings and my desires to not be in that marriage to affect all of the people involved. Because at that point, not only did he have so many children, but we were a big family. I had my sister living with us at that point. You know, my parents are very involved. He has a bunch of sisters. There were so many people in our bubble. And I felt like, and I, and I see that it is the truth, that I was the string that kept this bag tied, closed, and kept everybody encapsulated in it, like existing. And me being the string, when I took myself out of that scenario, everything fell out and everybody was affected. And so the slow burn was like me trying to allow this to happen with the least amount of casualties or affected people. How often were your husband and best friend getting together? Well, see, that's where things started to get a little bit out of, out of control, in my opinion, of my control, right? Like, everything was okay while this was happening if I was involved in it, um, because that meant that I was involved in it and that there was some sense of I had the power for things to go the way I wanted to. So I had noticed, so after that, she, that night of him not coming home, she had gone back home. She was living her life again. And I knew that they were on the, like always having phone conversations. And I thought, like I said, it's okay because I'm trying to get out of this. I want him to have a buffer. I'm just like thinking on my toes at this point, just trying to come up with something so that people aren't affected. And then and I just noticed more conversations, always on the phone with her. Like he wasn't showing up even more so now because he was like on the phone all the time in this obsessive way. And again, there's these other sides to the story and I want it to be fair. I was enraptured with these two prisoners, one of which had just literally, he, he was so intelligent. He was getting his bachelor's degree while in prison and he had opened my eyes up so much to how unhappy I was and how not normal my marriage was 
And I felt this kinship for this person. And so I wanted to spend more time with these people than I did with him anyways. So, you know, as far as when you want to start, you know, dicing hairs and saying affairs, I was not having an affair with this, this man in prison because you can't have an affair. I mean, you could totally potentially have an emotional affair, but you know, you can't have a physical affair. You can't consummate anything in a real sense. And I always knew that. And I wasn't, that was not my intention. My intention was not to like wait for this person to get out of prison and have anything. My intention was to write this really kick-ass documentary that people were going to be like, oh my God, all of these different aspects of, you know, the criminal and justice system. And so that quickly became, however, their shield when they moved forward in life with what they did. Their shield was to blame me and to really beef up this narrative that I was in love with the man in prison. Now, what the reality was, was I was really excited about doing something on my own professionally that didn't define me as a mother, that didn't define me as this person's husband. It was just this, I was in love with this experience I was having. And then my, simultaneously, my ex was now like nowhere to be found all the time. And so after about two weeks, he was out on the balcony and the windows were open and I was in bed and it was time for us, well, I was gonna go to bed. And uh, I heard him, I was like, can you get off the fucking phone? Like, can you be here? And I heard him getting off the phone and he was like, okay, I love you. Bye. And that, I don't know what happened, but that hit a switch in my head. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't what we were talking about. And then the next morning, and I'll never forget this. I had thought about it all night. He went to bed. I went to bed the next morning. He was standing there making coffee. And so his back was to me and he was looking out the window and I walked in and I just said, Hey, I don't love you anymore. I'm not sure I ever did. I just absolutely know that I don't want to be married to you anymore. And this is over. And don't say anything. We can't go to counseling. This is dead. And uh, I walked away. Okay. I don't want to backtrack too much, but I'm going to fucking kill myself if we don't. (laughs) So you... I mean, when you said it, if you could, if we had the cameras on and you could see my mouth, my mouth was dropped open when you said that you had not fallen in love, but had gotten feelings for this prisoner. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, I mean, I don't like, don't ever want to defend myself as far as like, oh, I need, I don't want to ever have to be in a position where I have to defend myself. Right. So when I feel like I have to, you know, defend myself because of this false narrative. The truth is I was in a loveless marriage for about a decade with a man who never showed up, who never reciprocated any acts of love or kindness, who only slept and uh, used money as a form of love. And, And that didn't just go for me, that went for everybody. And so I genuinely hate to say it, but I was so neglected. I was so emotionally neglected. And I'm a strong, you know, woman who should have never allowed for that, especially, you know, for a decade, because what happens is is emotional neglect becomes a lot of other things. Like it becomes abusive in some ways. I, I wouldn't say our marriage was ever abusive, but I think we were both 
very, very verbally abusive of each other and had a very special disdain. I was so unhappy with him. I was mean to him. And he was so unhappy that I was mean to him that we just made us not like each other. So when I had this interaction with these, and it wasn't just, it was just like, it was a person who was connecting with me and seeing me intellectually and having conversations that I hadn't felt like I had in a decade because everyone always only saw me as a wife or a mother, right? Or a daughter as, you know, archaic as that is to say, those were very defining uh, roles in my life. And so this person seeing me as, you know, somebody that wasn't those things and then really, you know, matching me, I'm a writer and matching me with the ability to write and, and have letters and conversations. Yeah, that surely made me feel good. Now that's not love. I wasn't in love with this person. I felt great. And I, I got caught up in it. Absolutely. I, I like, there's no point in not completely owning the facts because that makes the story, you know, of value. And so, yes, I was like enraptured by this other person and it was what it was doing was shining a light on my real life. You know, this man is in prison and he's just living in this small experience. And I felt like for so long I was living in a small experience, but my reality was, is that wasn't the case. And I, I was literally free in a wonderful situation. And I had so much potential that that empowered me, right. And emboldened me to do more and to act with more intention in my life. Without being too specific, what was this man in prison for? This man was in prison for um, what he was sentenced with his charge was home invasion. The breakdown of the scenario was he was married to a woman. They had a, you know, a tumultuous on and off relationship. They had had a baby together and they were separated again. And it was Christmas time or Thanksgiving. Nonetheless, she had told him, you know, come down back to our hometown and you can stay with me and the baby and you can have, you know, the first holiday with me and the baby. So he gets there a few hours later. I'm sure she had intended for him to come a few days later or whatever. Cause I've spoken to both of them. You know, this was, when I say this story, this isn't my perception of the story. This is interviewing all the people involved, including interviewing, you know, the arresting officer, you know, the wife at the time, this is a corroborated story. So he goes home. She didn't anticipate him coming home that evening. She had a man there who ended up being one of their friends in common. So he gets there. He sees this guy's truck. He knocks on the door. Nobody's answering. He sees a light come on. So he knows somebody's home. It's his house. He owned the house. So he climbs through a window that he knew you could climb through because it was his house. And they called the cops. So when the cops got there, they were like, we're divorced. He's not supposed to be here. So in the state that he lives in, that's considered um, home invasion. So to kind of put all of this together, you are in a marriage where your husband is now sleeping with your best friend and you are creating a documentary about a man in prison who went to prison because his <laughs> wife was sleeping with one of his friends. <laughs> Does art not mimic life? I don't mean to laugh, but that is pretty it's, ironic. Listen, 
as I've learned, as I've come slowly out of this, being that it's been almost two years, the tale, the twisted tale that has transpired, there is so much humor to it. And there is so much kind of like irony. And I almost look at it as lightness because like I said, I do come from a place where I'm not completely heartbroken. I was okay with the marriage somewhat being over. Now the way it was over and what has transpired and the details of it are completely, once things were out of my control was when things got wild. And uh, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a big dose of irony. So I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking from what you're hearing. I just want to see if, if I'm on the right page. So you didn't go into this thinking, oh, me, my best friend, and my husband are going to have some threesome. Like, you you had a wild night. You thought it was going to be just that. And then, from there, after that night, you kind of were hoping that your best friend would come in and be this. I was hoping she would be his Sherpa up the mountain of being a single man. Here, I'll carry this load for you. And once you're okay, we'll all just disperse. We'll never talk about this. This this was just a transition for you. And you know what? The reason why I say I find her to be so manipulative is because that was the song she was singing to me the entire time, right? And this is why this created such a fracture in the situation and really just obliterated any sense of this ever working out and being a normal situation. I mean, it never would have been normal in the beginning, but you know, she was dishonest in her, her true intentions. And I genuinely don't know if we're, if we're being honest, if she's showing her true intentions now with this relationship and all of this circumstance, because what my takeaway is, you know, holy shit, I think now your plan was something completely different. What I genuinely feel like her plan was and how I somewhat feel is in a way, and this is just my opinion, you know, I'm sure they would deny it or reject it, is that she's single white female to me. I mean, it's like, if you if you look at my life now, it's almost as if somebody just went through, you know, a photo album and exacto knifed me out and placed her in there. It's like she is completely, I, you know, he kept the house. And so when I pick up our son, I look inside and it's all of my furniture that I bought and picked out, rearranged and pictures of her plastered all over the walls with her family. It, and it feels to me like as much as she seems so light and, and footloose and fancy free and, and, you know, just like floating that the reality was is underneath the water behind the scenes, she had like 19 of her tentacle arms holding everything the way she wanted it to. So I think that that's where everything went south when I started to realize that, you know, where I thought we all were in the, in the circumstance was not where we really were. When you went to your husband and said, I'm not in love with you, I wanna end this, were you thinking that he was going to go to her or did you think that he, like she was just kind of this hookup girl now if he was going to get in an actual relationship he would go elsewhere i was thinking that she was in a happy relationship and that she would have this affair like she had in the past and it was going to break 
And he was going to be, for the first time in his life, a single man taking responsibility for all of his children and his life. And he was going to maybe grow the fuck up. That's what I was hoping. I was hoping that everybody would disengage slowly and that we could move on. Remember, I just, I wanted little to no casualties. So if this meant he was happier and he could transition and he wasn't so sad, he's, he was just so dramatic. Like, you know, for a man who had had so many affairs and, and what I'm finding out now is that he was not, you know, innocent in our marriage, that he had had affairs and fucked around. He was the one that was so dramatic. So all the waterworks, all the tears, oh, my marriage is over. It's like, well, what, were you here for the last decade? So my, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, like she'll help and we'll train and we'll all move past this and we'll all have a healthy relationship. I wanted to have a very healthy co-parenting relationship. So I was thinking, this is it, you know, I, and even if she's involved, even if she's still around, at least she's my touch base person, you know, at least, Hey, worst case scenario, she'll at least like, she respects me. She's my best friend. She loves me. She can be that like touch base person, you know? I was not anticipating anything that happened, but I was going to be okay with it. You know, I guess if it was, if it was by my rules and by my standards, I guess, to be honest. When you were talking, I had this light bulb moment and I feel like it all kind of clicked for me. And I feel like I'm understanding now more where you were coming from her relationship, which was essentially like a marriage, but they just weren't officially married her relationship was your safeguard. So the reason it was okay for your husband to sleep with her is because you knew that she's in this marriage relationship and she's not going to leave it for him. You're absolutely right. And then I will double down and say, I thought my relationship with her safeguarded it. I mean, I was led to believe that. I was, you know, for lack of a better term, told by her, you know, we were friends. This was us. And he was just a third, but we are women and we're solid and we're friends and we love each other and we're, you know, these mothers. And so by no means did I think that I was going to be voted by her of all people, because at the end of the day, what I have seen and learned is that, wow, she's just so manipulative and so powerful in the situation that she really calls the shots and pulls the strings in that merit or whatever their relationship is. I'm sure it'll be a marriage at some point, but that she really is the puppet master. And I'm mostly angry that I allowed myself to be a puppet. And the shit hitting the fan was not you saying that you want out of your marriage. That was actually kind of, ultimately that was really your plan. Maybe it happened earlier than you thought, but the shit hitting the fan was when they became more serious. Exactly. I would say that they're probably, if you wanted, the shit is hitting the fan moment was, um, so we decided to, you know, separate in September, but he was going off to work so he wouldn't be home for six weeks. So I was going to get my life together, find a place to live and, you know, leave our family home because he had all these children and it was a large home. And so against everybody's advice, I found a place to live and I would move out. So November, when he came back, I moved out and we decided to tell all the kids. We hadn't told the kids. So that first week he came back, it was a Wednesday because we had all the kids on Wednesdays. And we sat there and we told them and it was honestly the most heartbreaking 
thing I could have imagined. It was like the the first real feeling of all that anger, not a real feeling when it comes to all this, because that comes and goes. But watching your children be devastated and knowing that you're the reason for it. Oh, it was just so hard. Right. It was so sad. And we had like told them I'm still going to be around. And that's the most devastating part for me is because the plan, like I said, nothing ever, nothing came to fruition the way it was, but I wanted to, I mean, I had raised his daughters for eight years. And so the plan was to be around, right. We were going to co-parent. Nothing was really going to change. Um, that was what he and I had discussed. He was going to have our son that weekend and his daughters. So maybe I'd come in and out, but that was the plan. You know, there was no conversation with the best friend at this point about anything very serious, right? I didn't, I had no idea what was about to happen. So we sit down with the kids on Wednesday. We tell them it's devastating. Friday night, I go to drop my son off and she's there to stay the weekend and be in the house with all of our kids. So if we're, if we're keeping track here, Wednesday, these children are told this decade marriage is over. Two days later, this woman that they knew as my best friend is sleeping in my bed with my husband now. And that was the match that lit the fire inside of me. Did you just completely lose your shit? That was the tipping point. That was when I... Uh, all of a sudden, me operating in this world and all of these changes, it was not just me. Now, like I said, the power and my ability to maneuver and manipulate the situation now was gone. I was out of it. I realized that they had taken me out of the game and it was just the two of them now. And that, you know, there was no, she didn't say, I'm going to come this weekend and be there. And in my mind, and I think anybody's mind, a woman who has children herself going and doing that with somebody else's children and the ex-husband or the husband still at that point and pretending it's normal is insane. And for me, that act, that dishonest act, because it was, she did not communicate that she was going to be in town. And the thought process of these two adults to think that that's an appropriate thing blew my mind to the point where it got me wherever I was mentally with them as people, it was all gone. In that moment, I was like, you two are disgusting. Do you know at this point what is happening in her relationship? You know... I think at this point, I knew she was saying to her partner, I'm not happy. She was lying to him because he caught my ex and my best friend. Her partner had caught them, you know, a week later and then two other times and then reached out to me and all of a sudden was like, what is happening? So no, I think the layers of manipulation with this woman are like a rose, you know? They're all layered together, these petals stacked on one another and they look so beautiful from far away, but they're very delicate and held very delicately together. And I think that was one of the layers. There's just always another thing happening that you don't know about because I certainly, I mean, like she was in the middle. She was like in the middle of my fucking chest. She knew everything that was happening in my life. She was engaged in it and she separated 
communicating with me or letting me into what she was doing, which probably is because it was shitty, you know, and just because that's her MO. But no, she was lying to the to her partner and wasn't just being straight up honest. Like at least I was being honest, you know, at least I can go through my life knowing that there was no backhanded trickery or bullshit. I was honest. I was honest about my feelings in those moments. I was trying not to hurt people. I, all of these things came with an intention of goodness. And uh, I believe now that her motives and the way she operated came out for all selfish purposes for, you know, oh God, I could go through a list of what I truly think, which is financial gain, power gain, career gain, thinking this man can help her with whatever make-believe idea, you know, she thinks she can have in, in a new industry. And so I think she looked at my ex as a ticket on SpaceX. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this would propel her so much further I think, than the partner she was with. She was unhappy with him, and so she leveled up. I think that's part of the story that, again, I don't want to. I don't want to get into specifics, but your husband is very successful and does very well for himself. Correct? Yes, monetarily speaking, he is successful. The reality, which I think probably was glossed over in her mind, was. Maybe I sold her a false bill of, you know, goods when I would project what my life was like, which was nice. It was fun. I was married to a man that made a lot of money and who was not really involved or present anyway. So I had financial freedom. That was the one thing I did have. And that really kept me in that marriage, I think, for a very long time was my financial freedom. I really could do what I wanted to do. I could travel with my son. I could go spend the weekends with my friends back home. Um, and so I think she saw that. And I think in her mind, she saw just this great, uh, more enhanced life than she had with this like fancy, you know, successful man. And the reality is, is this man has been married now twice, has children across three different women. And financially, those things now come first. So she is literally the last on the bus. This it's you know it's a big money making bus but it's full. From what you know, how has their relationship progressed? Well, from my perception, um, it's strange and bizarre because you use the word progressed, and I feel like that is something that they never had a progression. They went from being you know acquaintances barely to within a week being in a sexual relationship and then being in this like odd strange obsessively committed relationship like to the point where my son told me they fall asleep on FaceTime together and they leave FaceTime on all night while they sleep because they're in different states sometimes and then they wake up and say good morning to each other and I thought that that was the most fucking weird codependent bizarre thing I've ever heard in my entire life so I think that there was no progression I think that they both being like serial relationship people began their relationship in a deep, deep, like serious way. Like they didn't ever go on, they, they never went on dates. They never got to know each other. They just like grouped together and have been in this like intensely serious relationship from my perception of it ever since. 
in an unhealthy obsessive kind of way i think for both parties because clearly you know both sides were getting out of these established relationships and so they had each other to kind of glob onto immediately which is like a whole nother layer of so sad for me is i lost a spouse and a best friend all at once you know talk about feeling like you could never possibly trust anybody ever again you had said earlier that you you could see them potentially getting married in the future well I, I i know that to be a fact because i mean for many reasons one that's my ex's mo clearly and two there was such a rush a quick quick rush a few months ago to sign the paperwork and get divorced all of a sudden there was just like this fire under his ass we had been separated for about a year and frankly i was like in no rush to do the paperwork because i'm not trying to get and the only reason why you absolutely need to be divorced on paperwork is because you need to be married for what i learned either is for insurance reasons for one or to be married for another reason and for their reason is because they're having a baby she's pregnant yes she is pregnant which will forever be i think the most damaging thing emotionally i think for both her ex-partner and for me because first she had her partner get a vasectomy because she didn't want to have any more children she pushed that on him so he did it because he would do anything for her like i mentioned in the beginning for some reason she has this magical power of making you think that if she needs you to do something you absolutely just want to do it so she had him get a vasectomy and i had begged my ex for years to do the same he has four children total oh, we have a son and then he has three daughters and uh, i had made sure to cap that off for the many years that we were together and so let's not forget the way i found out that she was pregnant they decided that it would be completely appropriate for my seven-year-old son to tell me how did that hit you <laughs> uh I think because I was okay with the marriage being over that I kind of like just floated through, not to mention that there was a pandemic going on all last year that kind of, you know, split my focus. So I was just kind of going through the motions and I, and I was accepting that they were together. I was accepting that this woman had come into my life and basically just inserted herself in the lives of my children, in the lives of my husband, in my home layered herself in every single way which i felt to be so invasive and so disrespectful i think you know if you want to be with this man you want to do start your own new life but don't keep my stuff don't move my pictures around and live in my house and make it yours that's almost like mental illness in my opinion for you to be okay doing that with a friend somebody that you were so close to and you loved um uh, yeah, I think that everything else up till that point was like, you know, maybe they'll dismantle. This is just like they've, you know, quilted their lives together, but that, you know, that's nothing. You know, our son is the youngest of his children and he's the only boy. So there's some like sanctity in that he'll have some focus and not just be lost by the wayside in the sea of children because she has two children and she lives in one state, he lives in the other. And there's just so much chaos going on already. That I thought, you know, even with all of that happening, whatever, that's okay. Because if it doesn't work, and it never works with his relationships, because as you can see, now this is number four for him, he has an MO, he cheats, 
and he has babies. That's like his thing. So, you know, I was thinking, yeah, if we could just skirt that, you know, you're old and you're with a woman who doesn't want any more kids, whatever. Great. Because the reality is, is when you bring a baby into the situation, you're creating a new family. So you're rocking the boat again. And so I think the representation of this baby, which again is such a twisted duality because no matter how much harm has been bestowed upon me emotionally and mentally and like financially and all of these other things that horrible things that have happened involving the two of them, I still love parts of these two human beings and now they're going to have a baby and I am just, there is a part of me who's like, babies are wonderful. My son is now going to have another sibling. I have to be positive about it. Like the inside of me doesn't want to be negative about this, this human being that's about to be on this planet. I don't have any negative feelings towards that. It's just the symbolism of all the fear and uncertainty it creates. So it's just so confusing for me to be having all of these swirling, contradicting feelings. And on top of it, have to see this man every other week and try to be civil for, you know, our beautiful child who doesn't deserve to be in the middle of this shitstorm. This is a really shitty question because <laughs> of the place that you're in, but I feel like it's worth asking. Do you regret your part in bringing them together? No, no, um, not at all. Because you know, things are hard and things are painful and that's a part of life. But I really genuinely believe that if it wasn't that situation, it was going to be another one. And the fallout of what has happened has been challenging, but it's taught me and I'm using it as fuel. So, you know, I think people are, would probably think it's so crazy that I say that, but I can't. I can't allow myself to look at it any other way because if I do, I think I might go (laughs) in another direction emotionally about it. So I think, no, I just have to take ownership of what I did and, and know that I felt like I was doing the right thing in those moments. And that my intentions, like I said, were always to try to hurt the least amount of people as possible. What I learned was that you can't really control those factors and, even with the best laid plans, nothing ever ends up happening or ending up the way you anticipate it. I think the final question that I want to ask you is just, are you okay? I think that's such a loaded question because yes and no. Um, But I don't think any of us are ever okay about everything in our lives anyways. So while this is something that is huge and has shaped my life and changed me and hurt me beyond belief because as I talk with a you know an upbeat voice there have been complete moments of breakdowns like when my son told me I was driving and you don't really anticipate emotion having such a physical effect on you when it is so strong and is so heavy And I think, like I said, I I suppressed a lot through this because I have the power to. And I think that that's actually like a superpower, emotional suppression, because it has gotten me. It's bridged the gaps over the really, really, really hard points to get me to where I am and 
still feeling confident and happy about the situation for the most part. But when I was driving, my hands instantly slipped off the steering wheel because they were covered in sweat because my body in that moment just like released everything that I suppose I thought was going to happen and was just like telling me like, okay, so now you have to feel these things because you just don't have control. Now, like any concept of that is out the window. This is a new family. This is, you know, and it's not the, the takeaway from the story is not about the betrayal because I mean, it was a massive betrayal. I was involved in it, but you know, I never sat down and said, Hey, are you guys like, are you both like in a place where you're going to fall in love and like get married? No, none of us had that. None of us looked at it like that, you know, but the betrayal has been how I've been treated and how they have gone about this, how it became as the, how it started as this light thing and became this like epic love affair where nobody else mattered and their desires and whims were the most important and it didn't matter how that was going to affect other people psychologically and it's still to this day is is that behavior is that you know that way that they treat everybody else in the situation like i mean now between she and he there will be seven children why why have i mean i don't want to be horrible but why have another child? Like, what is the reasoning behind that? Is it to solidify your bond? Well, we're all adults. Just be bonded. You know what I mean? Like bringing another child into this world. And I know you come from a huge family, but you know, this is a completely disjointed situation. This is four half siblings, two step siblings, or one full sibling, five, four step siblings and a half sibling. Like that's how these children will all have to define their relationships with their siblings on their father's side. And that, that is so crazy and disgusting to me. I think that that's like the ultimate betrayal is me coming into this. So worried about hurting everybody or anybody, but needing to live my truth and them just kind of finding this gross situation and then not ever caring about how it affects other people and actually causing harm to others while they're making these decisions that just support their own their own desires. So yeah, I'm okay to, to finish that question off. I'm okay. I hope that if nothing else, like anything, you know, this just teaches me how to be more authentically me and how to see red flags and call people out on behavior before it takes over. This is a terrible thing to say, but is this baby a way of solidifying their bond or could this baby be a way of solidifying a paycheck? It's not horrible to say at all. It's genuinely, um, I would say 100% how I feel. I feel she was never, okay. So she was never married to her partner. So when they, you know, dissolved whatever partnership that they had, she didn't have, she didn't have the rights to the things that a spouse would in a divorce. So she certainly, just from what I know, she certainly needs somebody to financially support her and a boyfriend doesn't really cut it sometimes. And I think a husband and a child 
really solidifies your importance in that world. And I like, I'll circle back and, you know, I don't, I haven't really expressed any, we have so many people in common. We have so many friends and throughout this whole thing, people have said to me over and over again, I cannot believe like you were ever cool with this. I can't believe you're even like, you talk like this. I would be livid. I would hate these people. I would, uh, it's just like, that doesn't serve me. But the reality is, is yeah, I think that what I thought of this, what I thought of my best friend and how I see her through her actions, because it's not defined me by what I say, it's defined me by what I do. And what she has done has helped, you know, hide large amounts of money from me between my divorce, like in my divorce, she has told her partner crazy things like I don't need your financial support. I have it. You know what I mean? All of these things that only lend to my knowledge that she thinks that she's going to be forever taken care of financially and live this like wonderful big life that she thought I was living. But the reality is, is she's going to live a smaller version of that with the person I was living with. And, you know, from my lips to God's ears, I hope that that's something that's really what they both wanted and, you know, healthy and happy for them forever because now there's another child involved or coming into it and to just continue the pattern that my ex has continued would just be devastating again to watch. So I hope that it's like love and, you know, harps and baby angels floating through the air. But what I've seen now and what I know to be the reality is, is yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a perception of a financial advancement and more sense of security, I would imagine. What a doozy. That is a crazy story. But what I always hope you remember is that this isn't some scripted HBO drama. This is someone's actual life. And before you go into the Facebook group and blow it up with judgments, just remember that there are real people behind these stories. And I'm not asking you to agree with this woman and her actions. This isn't some utopian society where we all magically are going to agree on everything. Just, you know, look at our world right now. No one agrees on anything. It's not about agreeing. It's just about seeing people where they are at and understanding that while we think we may have handled things differently, this isn't us or our life. And I'm grateful to every person who opens up on this podcast and shares a perspective that is different than my own because that is where I feel I learn the most. So calm your tits and open your heart. I'm going to put that on a shirt. No joke. I feel like that is the entire motto behind this podcast. Calm your tits and open up your heart. Hey, if you've made it this far and you don't have a stick up your ass and you want to show your support for the show, I would love you forever if you would leave a five-star review for Beyond the Secret. Definitely not open to constructive feedback. (laughs) Way too weak for that shit. You know, just, just blow smoke up my ass at this point. Okay? 
Thank you for being here, for listening, and for calming your tits and opening your heart. I will see all of you next month. Everybody has a secret.